Good morning. Thank you, Reverend Gahan, for that kind introduction. You'll have to forgive me, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> but let me just say, all San Antonians are grateful for your service and dedication to this country, to this community, and that is a message for Christ Episcopal Church. Reverends Patrick, Scott, and Justin, and to the entire CEC congregation, thank you for having me and our family today in this beautiful church, in this historic sanctuary. I'm very grateful to be sharing uh, this morning with my son Jonah, as well as my wife Erica, who are here in the front pew. Since 1907, Christ Episcopal Church has been a beacon of light to San Antonio and across the world in places like Mexico, Uganda, Kenya, and Guatemala. The processional cross that we saw that celebrated your centennial reminds us all to enter into God's gates with thanksgiving and praise, and then to go out and do the work God has given us to do to love and serve him as faithful witnesses of Christ. Something you all have been doing for over 100 years and counting. I'm told 115 to be exact. This church has produced some of the finest priests, bishops, and laity in the Diocese of West Texas. San Antonians have fond memories of your pastors, such as Bishop Benitez, Father Sam Capers, and they still find trust and love from Bishop Fry. What an amazing history. But one does not need to look at history to realize what a special church this is in our city. Your work and care for the students at James Madison Elementary that was started by former principal Barbara Black, who was here earlier this morning, has been a model for churches all around this city that want to support their local school and train students through tutoring and music. The faith convening group that you are a part of with other congregations like Trinity Baptist and Temple Bethel is now being replicated by our city's own faith-based liaison and staff in other parts of our city. Your work each Saturday through your long-standing food pantry and newly formed Sidewalk Saturdays helps people who are facing extreme poverty find quality food, friendship, and most importantly, fellowship. Your work for the poor is not lost on me as your mayor or as a father raising a family in this city. But if I'm honest with you, being up here certainly is a privilege and pleasure of my life. It's an honor to be the mayor of this wonderful city. But it wasn't my life's goal. Ten years ago, actually 25 years ago, I found myself entering Trinity University with the goal of becoming the beat writer for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> 10 years ago, I found myself back at Trinity University teaching in the Trinity Communication Department and running the best jazz radio station in the country. KRTU. <laughs> but also as a new father uh, to a young son named Jonah, whose life changed my own. And so I found myself going to this convening that we all got together called SA 2020. I know many of you remember it. 
It was extraordinary. All people from all parts of our city coming together, descending to find a common voice, a vision for our community that we could all share. And invariably, it would get back to the fact that San Antonio is a city that looks after its own and that wants to see a better future for the next generation. We are a compassionate city here in San Antonio, one that is best exemplified by this very church. And so it was a great pleasure to become mayor in 2017 and the first stroke of my pen as mayor was to sign this city onto what is called the International Charter for Compassion. It wasn't so much a declaration as it was a recognition of who we actually are already as a community. The fact we are a con confluence of cultures, a place where we figured out after three centuries how to make community out of differences, different politics, different faiths, different backgrounds and cultures. We figured it out. We are a city on the hill. In fact, I like to tell my friends who are in other parts of the country that we are the only city in the world where a championship celebration can break out in the middle of the interstate and it's a family-friendly event. <laughs> and I hope we see a few more of those soon. If you've got prayers, save one for the Spurs. <laughs> we are a city with great momentum. The last 10 years have been wonderful for our city. We've seen crime rates drop. We've seen a resurgence of what was a dormant downtown area. Our urban core is one of the best looking in the entire country. Our economy's on fire. We're seeing emerging industries in cybersecurity, advanced manufacturing, biosciences in a place that used to only be about military and tourism, although those are still the strongest in the nation still. It's a wonderful place to be. And I'm glad that my son is being educated here in a place where if he wants a job, he can find a job. In fact, our unemployment right now has hovered around 3% for record numbers of months. So how is it that in a city like that, that also is frankly ranked by Forbes to be one of the best places in the country to start a business, and I read another place where it said that San Antonio is the most romantic city in the country. <laughs> And I know a number of us locals have enjoyed what is a great new culinary scene. It keeps us here in San Antonio very happy. But how is it in a city like that, with all the great momentum, the wonderful trajectory and vision that we have, that we are a city that has 22% poverty? We lead the country. We're a city that has the highest amount of socioeconomic segregation in the country. And these are reports that we've seen over and over again. We've seen them before, and so we're not surprised to see them again. How is that possible? And is it acceptable? Like you, who have dedicated yourselves to reaching out to most disadvantaged members of our community, I'm very proud to be of a city government that says, no, it's not acceptable. And so we're doing something about it. One of the first things we did a couple of years ago was we broke ground as a city in the United States by focusing on this concept of equity so that our resources as a public aren't simply divided arbitrarily by one-tenth because we have ten different geographic districts, but we actually focus our collective resources in the places where they're needed the most. For, so for instance, our transportation budget, for those of you policy wonks, now goes to the place it's needed so that neighborhoods, children, that are born on the east side can now walk to school on sidewalks rather than going to school on mud. 
It's extraordinary when you think about it. It's how you would budget your household, but that's not typically the way it's done in politics. You should be proud that this city is now a leader in what has become an urban crisis around this country in affordable housing. The average San Antonio family for the better part of this decade could no longer afford the average home that was being built here, and that is the case around every city, country, every city in this country. But we dedicated ourselves to creating a framework to allow us to look at policy in a smart way to ensure that we started to increase the production of homes that people could actually afford. And now we are the only major city in the country, the first one, to see production of homes that fall within the area median income. It's a good thing. And if we're serious about poverty, then we should be serious about education, right? And so the city council just last week reauthorized to go on to your May ballot the reauthorization of the Pre-K for SA initiative, which was passed seven years ago by voters very controversially, but has now proven up to bring in students who are well below their peers on a national average on cognitive arithmetic and all these other capabilities, and they leave the pre-K program well above their peers on a national average. And based on the longitudinal data, those capabilities and aptitudes are holding. It's wonderful. And so we're going to reauthorize that in the May ballot if you vote for it. And believe it or not, this city if you've heard of the Alamo Community College District, is the best community college district in the country. It's also extremely affordable, and most of the students that are enrolled at the Alamo Community College District are first-generation college-goers. If we wanted to break a cycle of generational poverty, we would ensure that more students go to the Alamo colleges. And so this city, in partnership with the county, as well as the private sector and the college district, has created the Alamo Promise Program. Within two years, Every single Bear County High School graduate will be able to attend a Alamo Community College District college without regard to circumstances or tuition. It's extraordinary. And that's through partnership and this idea that we can work together and achieve collective vision with collective action. And of course, the one area that is on my mind, and hopefully will be on your mind as well, is the fact that we have many working families in this community who are having to work two or three jobs simply because if you're going to live uh, above the poverty line, if you're going to get a job that pays a living wage, you simply have to have post-secondary education. It's not enough anymore to graduate from high school, so you need to go get a certification, a technical certification, or an associate's degree, or bachelor's, or, or, or higher degree. You have to if you're going to live above the poverty line. And simply too many of our young people are born into situations and their families are, no long, are not able to get that. And the other cost burden that's occurring is that when they take their second job, they're, they're not able to get to it on time. Because in order for us to move around this town, as you've noticed, you have to have a car. And a car costs money. One of the greatest disruptors of poverty, bar none, after education, is an adequate public transportation system. It's not a nice to have. It's an absolute necessity for a city, especially one gripped in poverty, if they're serious about collectively working on this issue of poverty. And so I'm working with my colleagues and others 
to correct the record, because I think many of you know um, my brand is the water guy, there is no way in my watch that we're going to have to sacrifice water for public transportation. It's not going to happen. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't fully invest in public transportation in the city. So that's what we're working towards. I would ask you to get engaged in the discussion. There's going to be a lot of meetings about it, and ultimately I'm going to ask you to vote on it in November. We're going to ask you to vote on it in November. And it's really difficult to cut through all the noise of narratives and political discourse in this day and age. I know you know the feeling. It's not enough to read the paper anymore, even though most folks, unfortunately, do not even do that anymore. Most people get their news on social media, heaven forbid. Uh, and it's difficult because our political discourse has gotten so polarized and isolated. And in order for us to work together for collective action, we've got to learn how to talk with each other from across the aisle and across communities. That's where you come in. I think we can all agree that the politics of this era are divided, they're unfortunate. But the one place in our public institutions that still has an abundance of trust and community is our faith congregations. We listen to our leaders, help us to interpret the chaos that's happening in our communities and in our world. So when Reverend Patrick came to the faith breakfast in the morning, with, was, which was with faith leaders of all corners and types, he asked me to speak a little bit, they asked me to speak a little bit about what it's like to raise a family and be a mayor uh, in my quiet time. It's very noisy during the day. But I do wake up each morning and over the course of my years, um, I have learned to pray the Lord's Prayer. I was a confirmed Catholic, raised in a Catholic household by a Catholic mother and a Jewish father who didn't practice. Uh, went to a college with lots of different faith backgrounds, but I learned to pray. And as a public servant, I would pray and it would become a list of petitions. And so whenever that happens and it finds to be routine, I sort of slow down and I think about what's important as your leader someone who's been given responsibility to lead the city. And so I found myself and my son praying together at night for four things. Strength, wisdom, courage, and patience. The fourth one was added recently. <laughs> but the petitions have gotten noisy. And so it happened to be that Reverend came to the breakfast the week that I changed my morning prayer, and I've stuck with it ever since because it's as simple as it can get, is that I've asked the Lord to let his light shine through me. Sometimes we don't have the answers, not all of them. Sometimes we make mistakes. But when we are at our best as a community, as a, when I am at my best as a father and as a mayor, the Lord's light is shining through me. And so Christ Church... I'm asking you to pray that our light shines through this city. I'm asking you to also um, say a special prayer for my family today. Um, we're all a little sad. Um, my nephew, who's been staying with us for almost a year, is shipping out 
Uh, he's just enlisted in the Marines. He's been uh, a wonderful nephew and, and almost brother to my son Jonah. But I'm asking you to pray for our city. This is a city on a hill. This is a city that has demonstrated over time how we work together despite differences. In our challenged history in San Antonio, that is this city. And so the gospel lesson for today reminds us that as people of faith, we are to be a salt and light to our world that is often surrounded by great darkness and tastelessness. And that's certainly how we would describe today's politic. Christ Episcopal Church is one of the many sources of salt and light in this city that strives to be a model of compassion. For over 300 years, San Antonio has been called America's 21st century city, a confluence of cultures. It's a place where people of different backgrounds and traditions come together in a mosaic of common humanity, and where we have throughout our history created strength and community because of our differences, not in spite of them. And so it's my firm belief, as I'm sure it is for you, that we are the hope of a nation in the light of a world that is increasingly fractured and isolated. So as we prepare ourselves for the upcoming Lenten season, I know that the words of the prophet Isaiah still ring true and remind us of what a true fast should look like. To loose the chains of injustice and set the oppressed free. To share your food with the hungry. To provide the poor with shelter and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. I know that if people of faith living in this great city, a city of faith, strive to this type of faithfulness, then our light will break forth like the dawn, and our healing will quickly appear, and the glory of our Lord will be our rear guard. We will call, and the Lord will answer. We will cry, and the Lord will say, Here I am. Amen.